0: Jesus smoke? I thought you turned the oven off. I thought you were gonna turn it off. I gave you one job! So best Christmas ever is our series that we're starting in. And so uh as y'all saw, it's gonna be a little bit of different series this week. Um or this these the next four weeks, our advent series. Normally we look at maybe like the birth of Jesus and those kind of things. But we're actually going to look at uh uh, the, the hashtag. Can I do it? Hashtag best Christmas ever because it's that time of year. It's that time of year. You know, you hear the songs like uh, the, the um, your, your constant songs you're hearing about the, uh, the most wonderful time of the year. And there's this expectation. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best. Or whatever. But then with it comes the Facebook posts, the Instagram, the Twitter's the Hallmark cards, the Christmas brag letters, and everybody's life is, is being promoted and, and shined out. as this. Our life is so awesome. Look at our great house. It looks like this all the time. It's perfect. We're perfect. Or look at our kids. They're awesome. They're doing so well and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of us uh, are w- wondering like, well, why isn't my life like that? Or, or, or we're, we're doing the same thing. We're faking it just like everybody else. We're putting up the facade. We, we're doing the posts because we got to keep up. You know, you can't, you don't want to be like, you don't want to be that guy or that family uh, that, that's, you know, honest about what it's really like and what's really going on and those kind of things. But we, but here's the thing. It, there's this constant pressure and push um, to, to be perfect and try to best to prove ourselves and to others, we're having the best Christmas ever, or we're living the best life ever. And the good news is, though, that in the in, in the Gospels and, and what, what God shows us in the Testament is that Christmas really isn't for the perfect people. It's people who are messy and who are really longing and need need some hope and some encouragement. Well. Um, let's be honest, if we are faking it, we are all putting on a facade. We're, you know, we're like this family in the, in the photo here, which is like in the Instagram, it looks great. But the reality around the edges, I I love this photo because y'all, y'all notice they missed a kid. (laughs) They left the kid out. That's best. Anyway, but so here's the thing. Jesus, however, offers us an alternative, In fact, that's the reason he came. In John 10, 10, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus actually promises us and offers us the best life. And we're going to, over the next four weeks, going into Christmas, actually, we're going to look at that best life. What is the best life? What is the the best house that you could have, the best job that you can have, um, the best family that you could have? What's the best life that you can have? And all this is going to come out of, we're going to be starting in John chapter 12 this week, and then starting next week, we're actually going to be camping out in John chapter 14 and asking the question, what is the best life? Because Jesus offers best life. Jesus offers an alternative to the the world's idea of best life. He is a better life. actually, he's the, the best life. And so what is that? And so first of all, to get to that idea that you come to first of all, we've got to recognize the delusion of the best life, the delusion of the best life, because our, this world that we're in is constantly offering us the best life. And, and the Christmas season seems to be even worse. this is a point it's like the worst. Because it's like countless commercials. If you get that new car, there's, a, there's another one. It's like, if you need it, uh, if you like tailgating, just get a new tailgate. Y'all seen that commercial? On and on and on, right? And they had the cars with the bows. And, or, you know, the kids, they show up and they get all their dreams come true and all this. And this promises that this is going to be the best Christmas ever. You're going to have the best life ever. And then it gets worse. Because then we go into New Year's. And now we got to think about the next year and how we're going to make our life better. And we're going to make a list of resolutions and different things that we're going to be doing to give ourselves the best life. But here's the thing, guys: you're being sold a bill of goods, as they say, uh, or maybe like oceanfront property in Arizona, or this is like one of those Nigerian guys who's trying to tell you he's going to give you money, right? If you give him access to your bank account, okay? It's it's not true. Okay there there it is a delusion to think that there's this perfect best life that you're supposed to be attaining to or you're supposed to have it's in spite of all the media and all the things that spin around us telling us otherwise well here in this passage um you, you see Jesus he's at the height of his popularity I mean he this is the pinnacle of his popularity as a matter of fact they say he's Up to this point in in the Gospel of John, particularly, he's gaining and gaining and gaining in popularity. And then he comes in, triumphal entry. This amazing party gets thrown for him. And and he's at the height of his popularity. And we see these Greeks coming to visit with him. And they're coming to to meet Jesus. And you can understand why at this point. He has fed 5,000. He has... um, Turned water into wine, he's healed a little boy, um, he's given sight to the blind, and now right even before this, he has raised Lazarus from the dead. So these guys come and want to meet Jesus for good reason, right? And we don't really know exactly why they're coming, but Jesus right at this point, he's somebody to meet. And the Greeks have always sought throughout history, they, they were those who were really seeking the meaning of life and what, how, to, how to find the best life. And, and their philosophies reflected it. Like, so, for example, uh, the philosophy of hedonism. you Heard of that, right? Is that you can find happiness in this life if you pursue pleasure. Or on the flip side of that, stoicism. The, the best way to, to face this life is to, to, to grin it, grin and bear it. White knuckle it. Just face it down without emotion, without any feeling. That's one approach. Or uh, one I think that probably most reflects us today is Epicureanism. You heard of that before? Epicureanism is a little bit like hedonism, but it's kind of on a negative. If you avoid fear, you avoid pain at all costs, you can have a comfortable life. That is the American life. You know, just avoid pain, avoid any trouble, avoid any kind of suffering in your life, and you can just have a nice, comfortable, little, peaceful life. Well, these Greeks are seeking. They're searching. They're looking for the best life. And they come to Jesus seeking that and and like like these greeks we're all searching for that best life aren't we we we, we all have that picture and that picture changes you know when you were a kid and you know if you want to know which best life you're looking for what life you're looking what what are you praying for so when you were a little kid what did you pray for oh i I really want that new toy you know and then it's oh help me graduate high school But then it was, help me get this job, help me pass law school, help me this, help me. And and you begin to realize, just by our prayers, if you pray at all, by the way, but by your prayers can tell you what's your best life you're looking for. I guess if you don't pray, that tells you something too. But anyway, what is that best picture, that picture of this best life that you are always searching and, and longing for? It's like these Greeks, all of us are doing that. And this has gone back from the very beginning. You rewind the tape to, the, to, the, to Adam and Eve in the garden, the very beginning of, of our creation. Adam and Eve were seeking and being offered a best life, weren't they? Like, God really doesn't have your best in mind. There might be a better way. Or, for, you know going down, like go into the history of Israel. I mean, they were constantly looking for a better life. You know, they're always seeking more, a new God, new this, and always rebelling and turning away from God, seeking a better life, weren't they? Now, and if you keep on going, we, then we are, so, well, even Jesus himself, fast forward to the New Testament, when he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit, we're told, and he's out there, what, what happens? Satan himself offers him what? A better life. I will give you the kingdoms. All you have to do is bow down to me. And he offers him this better life. And, you know, nowadays people read books by guys, guys like Joel Olstein, and they promise you what? It's a title. I didn't, maybe we stole it from him. Your best life. And it says God wants you to have all that you want in your life, in your life, and you to live up to your full potential as a person. And that's what we're offering. That's what we are. So we need to ask ourselves. Who? is going to define best life for us. Who or what is defining best life for you? Is it the world? Or is it um, something else? Well, like I said, Jesus offers us a real best life. A real best life. So let's let's define the real best life. What What is the best life? Let's define that. Okay? And so so here's this story. These Greeks come, and it's kind of a curious story, isn't it? If you think about what's going on here, they show up, they ask to meet Jesus, and you're like, okay, let's, you know, why wouldn't he? He's been like greeting people and ushering people in, and some would say this is a point where uh, the the Jews are going to reject Jesus, and now uh, the Greeks are coming, and it's a sign for him. That his time has come to go do what he's come to do, and that's part of what's happening here. But he he doesn't really directly respond. At least in the text, we don't see any response other than um, he he just kind of reverse. He, he starts talking about um, he, he responds, and this his response is like really puzzled people throughout. The world. He starts talking about himself being glorified and lifted up, and that's sounds good right it's like my time has come to be glorified it might my, my hour to be lifted up has come and if you haven't read through the text at this point and you don't know the story you would have said maybe well jesus you just were i mean, think about it like this was the height of his popularity he has been ushered in on the donkey triumphal entry remember palm sunday guys Right? And people are celebrating him. There's this party. So you can kind of look at it almost like you know, now he's got this huge uh, following on Twitter. Millions of followers and subscribers. And he's, he, is, he has gone viral, as we would say in this world today. He's gone viral. Everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say at this point. Everybody has come out and, and he turns he starts talking about, I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be lifted up. But we know... If you go down to verse 33, what he's talking about here isn't being glorified in the way we think, being lifted up the way we think. He was actually talking about being lifted up on a cross, and that he'd be glorified in death. And so what Jesus does here. He turns on its head what we normally think about the best life. He turns it on its head and reverses the whole economy of best life. And he's, he's basically saying to listen: the world says that what I just experienced. I, you know, this, I'm like, I'm like hiding my popularity. That everybody celebrate Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Jews themselves later in this passage, John, verse um, uh, 19, says they say, "Look." The whole world has gone after him. I mean, they, they're, they're ticked because they're, they're not wanting him to be popular. They're not wanting people to be following him. And Jesus is, has gained this huge popularity. He has got this best life going according to the world. And Jesus flips it on its head. So if you read with me verses 24 and 25, we see um, Jesus turning it on its head so when you get there i'm preaching today and i didn't bring my bible so i'm using my ipad so that i guess one of those days again you know and so verses 24 and 25 he says truly truly i say to you now when you hear that and in, in the in the, uh, in the new testament what's happening there it's actually the greek word amen what we, we normally say we know nowadays use the word amen after we pray but it, it's the word, we can't totally translate that in English. But it means like, this is seriously important. This is huge. Huge. It's huge, right? This is big. Okay. So the, the, the ESV here is using truly, truly I tell you. Amen, amen, I tell you. He's really making a point here. He wants us to hear, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. So again, this is Jesus flipping on its head what we would think would be a best life. And so, two things happen here in these two verses. One is, he's basically saying is that the way up is actually down. So see, This is inverting reality here. He is inverting, turning reality upside down. What we normally think of as up is down, and what we normally think of as down is up. He's reversed the whole order here. Okay? And so the world says, let's put this in some t- language here. The world says, if you want to get, get ahead in life, go for it. If you want to have the best life, be successful. Go to Harvard. Do all these things. Do, be, you know, have power. Have wealth. Have success. Win the football game. Right? You with me? That's, that's good that, you know... You know, we, 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 we plot, we, we laud people who are successful, who do the right things, who, are, who, who can sing well, who look good. All those things are what the world says. And so if you want to go up, the way to go up is up. Right? Do you want power? Go for it. The spoils go the strong. But here's the thing. Jesus, in his life and death, cast judgment on that system, that world system. That world thought that the way up is up. If you want to succeed? Go. And the very fact of his death, because when he talks about when a seed falls into a ground and dies, he's talking about his own death. He's talking about himself here and the death that he would die for us. And so um, pull up this Tim Keller quote in response to this. Normally, the world says this, but we see in Jesus, you got it? No? There we go. But we see in Jesus a man without political power, without financial power. The only followers he could scrape together are illiterate peasants. He'd be, he exec- he's executed at the age, early age of 33. He's penniless when he's killed because he only has his robe. And at the end, of, at the end he's only, not only abandoned by his friends, but also the God he served and called the Father. But not in spite of this, but because of this, his weakness... Vulnerability, his power, his poverty. He becomes the most indiv- influential individual in the history of the world. And your parents said go to Harvard or something, right? Jesus, in his own death, shows us that the way up actually is down. And so in the, the second part of this, we see not only the, the way up is down, but losing is keeping. Losing is keeping. Jesus says if you want to keep your life, you have to actually lose it. In in other words, you have to be willing to let it go. And he's using a farmer's metaphor here with the seed. Let's go back to the seed metaphor that he's using here. Think about a farmer. If you were a farmer, and think of a farmer, and he, he buys some seeds at the store. This happens all the time. Farmers buy seed, right? You all with me? You, you buy seeds at the store, and the farmer brings them home. And, and all of a sudden, he starts looking at these seeds, and he's like, man, these seeds are really pretty. They're smooth. They like, kind of feel fun through my fingers. you know." And he falls in love with the seeds. He's like, I love these seeds, man. And, I, and you know, maybe he even th- thinks they taste good or something, They're like sunflower seeds or something. And, and so the farmer falls in love with the seeds. And and what what's the problem with that? To be a farmer... You have to let go of the seeds. You have to spread them. You have to throw them around. You have to let them fall into the ground and die. You have to let them go in order to have a harvest, to have fruit, to have multiplication in your life. And that's what what, um, Jesus is getting to here. Is that if, if you try to hang on to this idea of a best life, you're never going to get it. Because here's here's the thing, y'all know this as much as I do. That when you when you get there, you're gotten there in your life. you ever been there? Like, it's it. Life is good. Have you ever been there? I don't see any hands. Why? Not because y'all haven't had good lives. Things haven't been clicked, clicked, sweet spot, right? We've all been there, but why? We get there, and guess what? Got it. I want something else now. There's another step. There's another. There's another football game. There's another challenge. There's another school to go to. There's another job to do. There's, that's because there's a delusion about a best life. And Jesus, the more you try to hang on to that best life, the more you're going to lose it. And so, the way up is down, and the way to keep it is to lose it. Is where he's getting at here. And so, there's a challenge for us in this. As a matter of fact, there's a demand. And so we see the, the demand of the best life. The demand of the best life. And what Jesus is doing here is he's forcing us to make a choice. There's a choice in what he says here, isn't there? He's saying you can either, you know, you can uh, keep your life. Or you can lose it. There's, you know, there's no middle ground here. There's a choice that he's forcing. So in other words, follow him in hating, as he puts it, hating this life or lose it. Follow him in hating this life or lose it. Okay, and so there's, in other words, there's really, not, it's not, he's saying that you can't just simply add Jesus to your version of a best life. Did you hear that? You can't just add Jesus to your version of a best life. I mean, and churches are selling that these days. Just add Jesus to your best version of your life. And actually, a matter of fact, Jesus will help you get there. He will be a, a tool in your toolbox to help you achieve your best life. No idea what that is. I was like, Jesus, what did I do? Sorry. <laughs> okay, so what does this mean then? Okay, first of all, it doesn't mean that Jesus is, ca- so Jesus says if you hate your life if you, and he, or if you love your life and that's on, he, what he's, what's going on here is, um, what's going on here is that he's not saying you have to hate every aspect <laughs> of your life or you're not spiritual and you're not following him. Did you hear that? Okay. That's saying you have to hate every aspect of every ass part of this life in order to be a follower and, uh, of Jesus. Okay? And so what, what's going on here in the Hebrew and Greek worlds to say love and hate, okay, sometimes just simply means to, to what, do you, what do you value most? What is your value system? What are you saying matters the most in your life? And he's saying if what matters to you the most is this life, the best life you can achieve here in this world right now, you're going to lose it. So if, if that's your, but if you hate it, in other words, you're saying, I'm going to lose it, there's something better, you can keep it is where he's going out here, okay? But it's not saying that we need, we have to needlessly throw away things in our lives, we have to needlessly create our like, suffering in our own lives. That we just, you know, I'm going to go home today after Russell's sermon and start burning my furniture or something. Okay, we're not talking like, it's not like we have to start like in the old Roman Catholic Church to say flogging yourself, making yourself like intentionally miserable or anything like that. What he's getting at here is a value system. Okay, best life doesn't mean, okay, that, that you have to, hate every aspect, and make yourself miserable. It means we are giving a new goal, a new trajectory. Instead of a life okay, in which the primary goal is your own uh, flourishing or your family's flourishing, is that there's a, a, a deeper, more profound goal. And that goal uh, supersedes this chase after, quote-unquote, a best life. Okay? So in other words, it's a, it's a life held loosely, and, and better yet, given in love and sacrifice for other people. So Jesus showed us what it looks like to hate this life. In other, instead of hanging on to it, which he could have done, instead of grasping for power and, and position and, and success, comfort, pleasure all the things that we seek in our lives instead of hanging on to those things which he could have and had the right to instead he hated it he let it go he let the seed fall and think about it what jesus let go of he he was god first of all we've talked about this he, he was in the eternal presence of God in the, in the Holy Trinity, the longest, most intimate, close, beautiful relationship that has ever existed. He left that to become a gross, nasty human being. I've used the story, I've used the illustration. It was like it would be like you becoming a cockroach. That's they didn't even not even get close to it. And that so first of all, he did that. But then, in his own life, instead of going after the things he could have gone after, he could have had kids. He could have been married. He could have traveled. Don't don't you want to travel one day? You know, I think, oh, we... You know, he could have done these things that we want so bad. And he let them go. And not only that, he let go his his own life itself. So that others could live. So that it, it wouldn't be alone. As a matter of fact, when a seed falls into a ground, and if it doesn't die, it is alone. And, and Jesus went and was alone, separated from the Father, betrayed by his own people, betrayed by his own disciples, or abandoned by his own disciples, alone, hanging on a cross, my Father, my Father. Why have you forsaken me? And there, hanging there gave it all. And that is a pattern that Jesus is talking about here. And the best life is a life that we let go of so that others can have. It's a life that says, I have this money. We could get this, that, or the other. Instead, I'm going to give away. I'm, I'm going to let others have. It's, it's, it's giving of ourselves and, and loving others. But it's also, okay, because I know y'all in here, and a lot of y'all do sacrifice, y'all do give, y'all do love in this way, in an amazing ways, but... Another thing here, too, is what about the life that we are getting? And it's bad. It's hard. It's rough. How do, how do we handle that? How do we face that? There's an amazing story of um, a couple, Jay and Catherine Wolf. Some of y'all, if y'all have been in Amanda's DNA. She's talked about her, sent out some videos and stuff. Bring up their pictures here. Jay and Catherine uh, were from... Uh, but from the South went to Sanford University, and just the picture of, of promise. Good-looking. They had gone on there and, and got married, uh, and he went off, they went to California so that he could pursue a law degree, and she was doing modeling. And then they had a, a, a sweet little baby boy, and this life was great. It was what most people uh, go, "'t you're getting ahead of me here. Okay, most people would have said this is a picture of the best life. Well, I mean it is, right? I mean, that's like the uh, the American dream right here. So good looking, just you know, newly married, baby boy, promising careers, financial wealth and privilege, everything you could imagine. And then one afternoon, Catherine collapsed, had a major stroke. Go ahead, next one. You all already saw this. And um, the surgeon, micro-surgeon, micro-brain surgeon, surgeon, I don't know what that is, but uh, 19-hour surgery had to remove huge parts of her brain to keep her alive. And so, um, just keep keep it there, so here they are. They were living the best life. Everything was going great. Hunky-dory, as they say. I mean, it was a sweet spot. And, they, and, they had been, and Catherine will tell you this, that she, she had been told that growing up, you know, you can have everything you want. Life's going to be great for you. And that was what she believed. That's what her and her husband believed. And then this happens. And so the world says, it's over. The, the dream is over. It's gone. And, and most men would have said the same, like, see you later. And that's what most times happens when this kind of situation happens. The man eventually leaves and divorces, and the woman's left, you know, in a really bad, or vice versa. Vice versa. And so here they are. Their dream is crushed, shattered. And so now you're faced with years of surgeries, I think twelve in total. Years of recovery. And here's the thing there's no happy ending in that way. She's still bound to a wheelchair. Can't use the right side of her face. Can't use the right, her right hand. She has severe back issues and pain. I mean, it's, it's a constant issue after issue after issue after issue. However, instead of saying, you know what? We didn't get the best life. It's over. Game over. We're done. Instead of that, they did this. They, they, they saw these verses and said, you know what? Whatever, this is, this is the story that God is writing for us. God doesn't make mistakes. His stories are always beautiful. His stories are always perfect. And, and, she, and they would say, this is the perfect story that God is writing in our lives. Let's make the best of it. Let's let's use this for others. Let's use this and, 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 and give it away. Because this is the story that God is writing. And I know some of you guys in here, a lot of you guys in here, it have faced or are facing some really tough, hard stuff in your lives. And it makes you wonder. And, and the thing is, uh, Catherine tells a heartbreaking story when uh, she had... Um, been gone through surgeries and recovery, or whatever. And but she had yet to be able to eat. It had been like almost two years, and she had wouldn't be able to eat. And she talks about how we we take it so for granted just to sit at a table with people and eat, because that's social life. That's life together. Is we we come together and we eat and we enjoy each other, right? And she said she couldn't swallow, and continued to fail swallow tests. And there was a Thanksgiving day, and she's sitting in the corner in her wheelchair. Watching other people play with her little boy, and she thinks to herself, "God, you made a mistake." And she said, "It's uh, hardly that thought formalized in her head before really God spoke to her and said, "I don't make mistakes. I don't make mistakes." And so there is no best life. The best life is the life that God is writing for you now. It's the moment you have now, not some picture somewhere else, something else. It's a life that you have now that you can offer to others as a measure of grace. Like, for example, go to the next picture. And the cool thing about Jay and Catherine, um, instead of being defeated, given up, game over, in spite of their... Serious challenges, in some William blessing way, I've actually been able to have another child. And if you've ever heard, I mean, but she's using their their story, her disability, to help others, particularly those who are in di- having disabilities and stuff. They're like, we never noticed those people. Now we do. And so um, I think her. She's written a book, and she speaks a lot. Hope called, called Hope Heals. It's worth reading. It really is. Um, but last night, for example. We're watching the Georgia football game, and it's you know fun to watch football. Games. And Knox, my son, is sitting there with us, and he's really into it. And you know we're winning most of the game. You know, at one point he says, "I'm not even nervous anymore. We're gonna beat them or whatever." And we don't. Like we, they come back heartbreaking yet again, and Knox is on my couch. He's crying. You know, and I, I I'm like, I'm really ticked. I'm mad about the game. Like different things that happen, whatever you know, and. I just had to stop, and, and uh, I was like, Nox, let me just tell you something, man. These, those guys on those two, those are real guys. Those are college students. And they have dreams and hopes for this great life and whatever. Let me tell you what. We, sure, we would have wanted our team to win. Yeah, that's fun, all that. But let me tell you what, Nox. Probably the best thing that could have happened to the players on that team was to face that loss. That defeat. Because suffering and pain are are companions to love. These guys are going to be better men because they lost. It's good. It's a good thing. Now, let me me just stop here and just be honest because this is hard. To say, let go of your life, to to give it away, to be generous, sacrificing, just to, whatever, what that means for you. And maybe God will call you to another country to give your life, or it may mean, you know, right here in Oakleaf, what does that look like? I don't know, but let me tell you, it is hard. It is very, very hard. It is a constant struggle and battle. You know I know? Because Jesus struggled with this look at verses 27 and 28 with me real quick he says now my soul is troubled and that word there is in like deep serious anguish most people would say these verses here in some sense are referring to this the anguish he had in the garden of gethsemane he says so my soul is troubled, and what shall i say okay here's the thing: what should i do i don't he's been easy for us to say oh he's just god it was easy for him now he sweat blood in the struggle. He was afraid of it. He didn't want to let it go. Probably there wasn't a moment, and he, you know, in the premonition, the prophetic premonition he probably had that he would, his life would be shed, his blood would be shed, and that his life would end, and he would be separated from. that was a probably this weight of pressure and anxiety and stress. You don't know what I'm talking about. That is sometimes worse than just pain. It's that constant rumble, undercurrent undercurrent back noise of of fear and dread and and, uh, that anxiety that comes from not knowing what's going to happen or not knowing if things are going to work out well, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? That that weighed on him constantly, just like it does us. And here's the cool thing, is that just like Jesus, he needed grace. We need grace in this as well. So I, I have to be really careful here because like it's so easy to say, "Oh, just leave your life, love it, you know, get rid of it." And we're not. This isn't a flippant thing. This is tough, hard, real stuff. So, so if, if you're an unbeliever, you, you have not received the real, best life from from Jesus. The thing is, the good news of the gospel is we can let go, because we have a hope. We have a hope and, and, and a promise that says. You you will have all the longings of your heart. You will have all that you think you need in this life. You will have it. Because Jesus was that seed that fell into the ground and died. Why? So that it would bear fruit. And he says, so that all men would come to be where he is. He calls us to a life with him in the Father's glory. That's how we can do it we know, if I give away this money, if I serve and sacrifice instead of doing what I want, or if I stop chasing this best life dream and begin to, to follow a life like Jesus and follow Him in the mud, dying, I'm not lost. I haven't lost it. I've actually gained everything. So, if you're an unbeliever... The invitation of the gospel is that he invites you to do that. Just believe it and trust it. Receive it. And so, okay, you also see the futility of seeing the best life according to the world's definition. People have been looking for millennia, thousands of years, and still haven't found it. Because it's only found in Jesus. That is the best life. But believers, are you following the real best life? Are you are you letting go, so that you can keep? Are you going down, so that you can go up? Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We-